How to Tell Stories to Children is a bi-weekly podcast exploring the science and methodology of storytelling. I am Silka Rose West. And I am Joseph Saracy. We are the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children. Our goal is to foster diverse storytelling by helping individuals like you awaken to the storyteller within. We appreciate your support. You can find our children's stories, exclusive tutorials, live Q&As, and more benefits on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash howtotellstoriestochildren or by visiting our website at howtotellstoriestochildren.com. Help us spread the love of storytelling by becoming a patron today. Good morning, Silka. Good morning, Joe. I think we've both experienced a little bit, uh, and use the word labor pains, over the last couple of days. Some of the pain and sorrow that's in our, our world right now, mm. and also some of the just wonderful joy. And uh, that's, that's led us to, to the subject that we're going to speak about today. Silka, you have shared with me so frequently how at the Waldorf School you were with a family as their young son had a, had a brain tumor, got ill and died. And how a year later or so a young mother had a terrible asthma attack, went into a coma and died. And her two young boys, the father of her children, went through that experience and you were present for those families and others and the entire school and extended family community in such a palpable and powerful way. And you have frequently talked about how storytelling was a big component of how you were present and how you held those families, and also felt held in that moment. I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit this morning. I have to go to this place when a message arrives in our, in our world that shatters the reality. The reality that we so strongly like to uphold, and that Death or sickness, sickness that leads towards the dying, having to stand witness to that is, is so, it can be so shattering. And uh, in that moment of being shattered, it's very hard to hold ourselves upright and say to work as a kindergarten teacher, to show up for our friend because there's something that at the core of our being is, yeah, it's, it's shattered. It's that trust that we will live on and be okay. And so now, as the storyteller, I have to come to the place of truth. And in the place of truth, I find something is shattered. And yet, I want to uphold something that is whole. I want to actually give a story 
to my kindergarten children that holds them and it also holds me. So I'm tapping into now something that, um, first of all, <laughs> you're always the storytelling loop. What is real? The real thing is, here's this little boy. I'll call him wolf boy now. Little wolf boy comes into my classroom and he's in the arms of his mother. And the children tell me he's dying, isn't he? Right in front of him. And I said, yes, he will depart. But look, he's here right now. Isn't that wonderful? One of the children says, can we tell you a story about St. Michael? In that moment, I realized that the little children, they actually naturally know what to do. St. Michael is an angel. Yes, we feel helpless. Why wouldn't we call on an angel? We need something that helps us, but we also need something that helps this little boy so he can go to his own death experience and for his mother. So she feels supported because she carries the weight of the world while she holds her child that's going to die. And so in that moment, a six-year-old boy offers a story of St. Michael and the little boy smiles, the mother departs, and we come together around the table and the children ask me once again, is it true? Is he going to die? And I said, yes, he's going to die. But he's alive right now. And while he's here, he's going to offer us so many gifts. And maybe we get to see him and here and there. And his beautiful mama, she will hold him. And the trees around his house, they are so happy to stand tall. They will stand and protect him. And dear children, we will sing a song to the angels and we say, well, as long as we have this little one with us here on earth, we will make sure he has a most wonderful time here. And then when he departs, then we are going to shed our tears. But he's here now, so we will find most beautiful stories to make his life on earth precious. And then there is a continuation because the process of the dying of this child was four months. And so I would walk into the classroom and they say, is he still alive? And I would say, yes, he's still here on earth. But now he's not able to walk anymore. He needs to be held all the time by his mother or his father. And dear children, we need to get ready for him so he can depart when his time is right. So we are going to ask the angels to prepare for him. And we prepare ourselves that when the time comes, we can let him go. And we can look for him in the stars at night. And one of the children said, I will be his friend always. And I said, I know. And so the young children actually experience the connection between heaven and earth, between those who have died and where they come from. A young child has that connection. So when we as the storyteller 
tap into that connection and we can use the image of the rainbow bridge that connects heaven to earth. That will be a place where the story can be a connecting point and the young child can itself see itself walking over that bridge. So it's not like there is this great void. You will never be able to go to this other side. No. When we cry our tears and when the sun shines, there is this grief and this joy. And it will create this beautiful rainbow bridge. It's made out of the love that we have for each other. And we can always cross it. So the story gives a continuation. And in it there is hope. Okay, part of what I'm hearing you say is that it's this great mystery and it's outrageously painful and it's this void. The reality is even us adults, maybe us adults even more than kids, we have a tendency to want to turn away from these things because it's so painful to us. We, we want to shield our eyes a little bit. What I hear you saying is that when we create a story around these very tragic, very real life events, it actually allows us to look at it. It actually allows us to welcome that reality into our lives. I mean, it's, it's so interesting because we're, we're wrapping it a little bit in this story. So you're using these images, Rainbow Bridge and the stars and the angels, and I whether these things are literally or figuratively real isn't really important. But by using these elements of story, mixing it with this reality, it allows us to turn our gaze upon the death of a loved one. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. Yeah. Because the loved one has to face its own dying, and so we want to look at that with them and not from a place of fear but we want to really create in the story the gratitude for life and actually feel what a blessing that this human being is in my presence here right now it's actually the greatest gift we then have this possibility of recognizing that as a gift right even though it's outrageously painful and difficult Maybe we use this story, we use this vision to allow ourselves to let that, that gift of death into our eyes, into our minds, into our hearts, so we ourselves are not turning away and pretending like it's not happening. And at the same time, what I think you're saying is that we give a gift back to that child that human being, that elder, whoever it might be, we give a gift of acknowledging, of not turning away in fear. By giving our real attention to them in the moment, we, we are giving them some sign of courage that we actually know the cold, hard reality, and yet we love them, we're present with them. It gives us a way to see them off? Yeah, I could think of the image for a child that death is like the dark night. 
But what does the dark night do? It allows us to light a candle. And the candle can be seen. Try and light a candle in the day and the flame won't illuminate. And it's in that way that when death comes near, all of a sudden you're paying attention to the flame, to this life. The gift is life. The gift is not death. The <laughs> gift is the life. And so life now is being illuminated by the darkness of death that's coming. It's mm. like the night is slowly moving in. And uh, your candle is lit, your story is, is already started, and you know at one point it, it will be completely dark. Your gaze stays on that candle, on that flame, and that flame is the reminder that whatever we have received from this being here on earth, it was our gift. And it can stay with us. And when we forget, we, we light a candle. Okay. May I ask you to shift then slightly into sharing some of your experience and wisdom as relates to these two young boys who had to witness their mother dying? Mm. What was that experience like for you? And how did you hold those boys in that moment as they watched their mother die over a period of months, right? Mm. Almost a full year. Mm. I actually... I was in my own personal life crisis during that time. My marriage had fallen apart, and it took me a while to really arrive. I arrived at her bedside when she turned 40, singing to her, and with a bunch of other women. And it caught my attention that while we sang to this woman who was in coma, her little boys were around. And the older one in prayer mode and the younger one just too little to understand, really protected still by the angels. And I walked away from that and then I put myself into this mother and I thought, if I was this mother, what would I need of my fellow human beings? And I'm like, I would want somebody to come and play with my children. I would want to sing to my children. I want somebody to take my place. Please, can somebody take my place? And so when I felt into the mother that was unable to rise from the bed in her physical body because she was in a coma, then I knew what to do. And so I would come and I would play with the children in the way a mother would do that. And then before I would leave in the evening, I would say, well, Mama, she can tell you a story, but I can. Come, let's sit by her. And I held her hand and I told the story to the boys. And then we said, good night, Mama. And I said, she would probably love to hear you sing to her. Why don't we sing her a song? What song did Mama sing to you? B-I-N-G-O, that's a lovely song. Let's sing to Mama B-I-N-G-O. Because you know, the angels are going to come and they will carry her home. When we sing, she can, she can hear that. Even though she can't say anything, we know she hears us. So a mother that's in a coma can, of course, sense whether her children are well or not. And... 
I would want that for my children. So the storyteller can step in for the one who is unable to talk. Let's see if you have a grandparent who has Alzheimer's or has dementia and you, you want to reach through, feel yourself into this being. What is the message they actually would like to give to their grandchildren? How are you going to craft a story from the mother that's dying to the children? How are you crafting the story for the elder that can communicate? You become the voice. If you feel into your heart and you experience that, that love, your story will be beautiful. It will touch your own heart. Mm-hmm. And you might not even know where your story came from. Okay. You said the the magic word for me, because as you were speaking, part of my mind was going, hmm, that sounds really good. It sounds really meaningful to kind of give voice and share this story, almost as if it's from this dying mother or that's from this loved one who can't speak for themselves. And so you're sharing the story with these boys so that they get to experience their mother with you. And yet, my mind was going, hmm, but how do I know that I'm not being false? And then you said, you tell the story that touches your heart, your own heart. And that, that felt like the answer. We have a chapter in the book that we titled, Be Yourself. And I frequently think, of how important that is in being a storyteller in any moment, whether it's gravely serious or just funny and light. In this moment, when you're you're giving voice somewhat with and for another human being, yet we're being authentic to ourselves, we're touching our own heart. And in touching our own heart, we can have some degree of assurance that what we're sharing is true, is real, is authentic for that moment. Would you agree? Yeah. And then if I may, switch us a little bit further then and say, okay, we've used these examples to kind of walk ourselves in. And it is so powerful. And you have gone through this even several times. I I haven't. And I think most people might feel the sincerity of that, but also say, well, geez, that's, I'm actually not facing a, a situation quite that drastic, right? And so we feel this maybe now a little bit, right? We have COVID. We're not necessarily able to see all our family. Some of us have some fear about all kinds of things. And yet, we're still touching into the sweetness of life when we can. So how can we take what you've shared about these threshold moments and bring it back or say, how can me, just average Joe in the world, I'm not facing the death of my child, but I'm facing difficulty. How can I bring that into my life, bring that into my story, bring that into my authenticity with 
my children and my family? Well, one of the reasons why I felt like I could so easily step into the place was because I am I'm very in touch with nature and part of my rituals in kindergarten was to plant bulbs in the fall to remind us that they are blooming again in the spring. And my engagement with nature and experiencing this dying as part of life and engaging in that way and in the story of the tulip that looked like it was gone instead in winter. But then in the spring there's a sign and look, it's blooming and we thought it was in the ground all dead and gone. It is the way I live my life and the way I think we can do that with our children when when we engage in life and embrace these things of, well, we have plants in the house. Now there is a part of the plant that's dying off. Oops, there is a plant that died because we didn't pay attention to it. We didn't water it. And then turn your gaze to the dying plant and see that is this part of your daily life? Just like with COVID, now we have the loss of community because we can't go to school, we can't see our friends. And yet we we'll know they're there, but we may have lost the hope that we will ever see them again because we're in this moment of feeling hopeless. You know, and then maybe you have, let's say, go back to a plant in the house that has died. Well, let's look and see. Maybe we have another plant in the house where we could take a little offshoot of a geranium and plant something new in this pot. And that can be an action that could be taken. It's like, what is the hope? What is the candle? How are you going to use the rainbow bridge to bridge your life's reality? And uh, you're in COVID now. Let's imagine COVID is a, a sickness that you're faced with and you are afraid it could hit home. You have all this fear around it. What can transform that fear into hope? And so we have to create this story that looks beyond COVID and into a future that we want to see. So you might want to tell a story about these beautiful beings that are coming together in their little square boxes called a computer. And they're, they're gathering and we are one of those people today. We can only go out into communities through our computer. In the way I tell the story, I allow something to happen. It goes beyond computers. It goes beyond Zoom. I create the picture of community and I hold this so that even in moments of despair or feeling like COVID will never end, I keep holding that picture. And just like the Jewish people, they keep lighting their menorahs and they had to suffer so much. And then the menorah, we light that menorah, we'll make it through. It has been lit before. Okay. So, I'm going to 
quickly recap those images you shared that when we're, we're facing difficulty of some kind in our life, to bring in a story that incorporates nature and the seasons because it has an inherent seasonality to it. And so even in the death, we can create a story around the new life. And then we can even literally plant a plant, a bulb, a new something, so that we can watch it grow. And what we're doing is we're kind of creating this story analogy that we're laying our troubles on top of. We're taking this intransigent issue, we're mapping it onto the symbolism of a plant that's growing, and we remind ourselves in the story that even in being cut back, even in dying back in the winter, in spring, the plant grows anew. And then when we see that with our own eyes, we experience the reality of it, and then we transfer that to the story. That's one. Another one you said, and you brought up the menorah, and I think that we could say that you know, almost surely every religion has strong storylines and images of renewal and rebirth. And so there are plenty of religious stories to draw upon, too. And then you also used, and I appreciated that you used the computer image, so we're not just ultra-supernatural. And you were talking about the squares in the computer and the image I had of, you know, because we, we, we all get a little bit tired of using the computer too, but the image of, hey, we may not be able to go out right now, but there's these funny little boxes with each of us in it. And even though we don't get to be together, they do. And you could almost tell a story about all those little square people on the screen that go and get together, and they get to see Uncle so-and-so and Grandma and Grandpa and their friends, blah, 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 blah. And boy, it's really hard that we can't, but they get to do it for us. And there's a little bit of a storyline around that, and I can kind of enjoy that, and I can picture them, these little square images gathering, and that brings me a little bit of joy and knowing that they're holding that place for when I can come back. I would actually use the square images as a door. I would use the image of a door, and there's these beautiful human beings. They're walking, everybody walks through their own door. And then they are walking back home, each one into their own home through their little door. And the door is closed, the computer is turned off. And we know they're all safe in their homes with their families. Grief and praise, you know, they're so linked. And so when we tell these stories while we're in the process of facing death, these are one stories, but then death occurs. And then a different story is needed, a story of that, that allows us to travel the bridge. And I use the story of a canoe or a boat or something, a spirit horse that can help us to travel. And thereafter, this, this period of grieving and crying, it's like watering the bulbs that you planted. For a young child, experiencing funerals and experiencing a coffin being put in the ground, the child will engage in it as if it's planting a flower. 
And when we grieve and we cry, then it's like just picture that our grief, our tears are watering this plant. And out of it, we then at one point come to that place of being able to receive new life and to remember what a gift that new life is. But it takes a while. So giving that time for the, the tears and there is the stories that have maybe more the image of winter when the bulb was in the ground and you couldn't see it anymore. And you thought like for sure that bulb is never going to bloom again. But maybe there was a bird that came and said, don't give up, don't give up, the time will come. And then what happens when that first little sprout comes out of the ground and you think like, well, that might just be grass. Maybe it's not really a tulip. Or maybe you're doubting because you're still in this phase of grief and it can't be true. How can I feel joy if I'm so sad over the loss of my loved one? And there's this inner conflict sometimes. How can I feel joy if I'm so sad? And now we have to bring a, a story that honors the dying, the ones that have departed, by appreciating that life, appreciating that new growth of the tulip in the spring. And we can recap a little bit of what has happened and how much we miss this person that died. But look, I see him in the flower. He is giving us a gift of this beautiful tulip in the spring. The stories have to continue. It shouldn't be like, well, that story is told. Now it's over. We forget you. You live on in our stories. We honor you in our stories. Thank you for saying that, that element of, of grief and praise. What I hear is that when something shatters our world, it's common for us to want to turn away from it, both adults and children. By sharing a story, it helps us look it in the face a little bit more. And when we look the situation in the face, we have to approach that authentically. In some sense, we'll know we're doing it right, for ourselves and for others when we touch our own hearts. And when we touch our own hearts and we look at this truly tragic event, we will feel the pain. We will feel the loss. We will feel the grief. At some level, we want to feel the grief. Telling stories in these moments is not about shading our eyes and pretending, oh, everything's fine. It's about looking at it, being sad, and in the creation of the story, we give ourselves an image. We give ourselves a picture. You use the rainbow bridge. You use the canoe that's paddling to a new land. Spirit horse. A tulip bulb that withers in the winter and is reborn in the spring. The casket itself and the burial of this body and the renewal. And in doing that for ourselves and for our children and for our family and loved ones, we allow ourselves to slowly, over time, as we stay with that story, we come back to it, we allow it to evolve, we awaken to the renewal and the joy of life. Yes. 
Well, blessings to our listeners. May you have peace in your life. And may you have the strength and authenticity to work with these real events as they come up for you. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Silka, for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to How to Tell Stories to Children, a bi-weekly podcast exploring the science and methodology of storytelling from the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children, an acclaimed new book empowering parents across the world. A new edition is due out in over 50 countries from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt in June of 2021. You can find children's stories from Silka Rose West and Joseph Ceresi on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash howtotellstoriestochildren, as well as tutorials, live Q&As, Patreon perks, and more. Or visit our website at howtotellstoriestochildren.com. A Story Village is a collection of children's stories by Silka Rose West ages three to seven. Joseph Saracy's children's stories, The Storytelling Loop, is for children ages five to ten. Help us spread the love of storytelling by becoming a patron today.